how that is, um, I was invited by one of our men to a hockey game one time. I thought there were four quarters in hockey. I don't know if you know this or not, but there aren't. There are three periods in hockey. That was a real surprise to me. Um, I, we went for a Coke, and I said, here, let me buy, and I gave them 20 bucks, and they said, we need more money than that, because like, you're buying two of them. So there, there was just a learning curve there on the hockey game. But it was, <laughs> but it was great that I was with Daryl, because Daryl showed me the way. Uh, he drove, he parked the car, he, he, he made me feel comfortable. And uh, anyway, on uh, Holy Week too, very, very wonderful uh, special week is being planned. On the Lord's Day, on Holy Week, on Palm Sunday, um, we're looking forward to some special emphasis for kids. We, you know, Christy mentioned this, but, but there are families that maybe would, would appreciate having something to focus their kids on, something really sweet and beautiful. And we have a special guest speaker, a preacher, that's uh, going to be with us on Palm Sunday. Uh, Jordan Napier, you may have heard of him. He's preaching on Palm Sunday. And uh, we're just looking forward to that again. And then, uh, and then, of course, our combined service. So I just wanted to mention it again. That idea of having breakfast on Easter, just breakfast in church, that's a great idea. Because it's like eating and then singing and organ bells and a men's group to sing. It's just going to be a great, great celebration of Christ's resurrection here on Sunday morning. Uh, so just invite your friend to breakfast. So anyway, you know, we can come and enjoy this or we can invite other people and use it as a, as a way of being a blessing. And so I just wanted to remind you about that. Grab one of these cards. Ask the Lord to help you. Send you to the right person. Today we're talking, it's actually the second in a two-part, and I'll, I'll review in case you weren't here last week so you don't feel left out. But the second of a two-part message in the series I'm calling informally spokespapers, spokes in the Bethel wheel, uh, or uh, following Jesus by helping others follow Jesus. I got invited to preach in Canada one time by a group of men up in Canada, in Port Burwell. It was really an interesting uh, experience. They were a little different, those guys. And they said, um, we want you to come and preach to our men. We'll have a big tent. We'll camp out. We'll, you, you don't have to pay anything. You, you, we'll feed you. We'll give you a... They, they all were camping out. They gave me a pop-up little, probably about a 50-year-old pop-up trailer. It worked out great, but it was real vintage. And... Uh, it was a sweet time. So I got up uh, into Canada there, and, and here's how they said, okay, so you can just eat with us, and, uh, and then when it's time for preaching, um, come an hour early, and the, the guys are going to have questions for you, and we'll just talk, and, then, uh, and then, then we want you to preach, and since we brought you from a long way away, we want you to give us the full, the full deal, the full buffet. So preach for at least an hour. I'm like, okay, if I must, I will. And I preach for at least an hour. <laughs> and, and then they said, and then they said, then after that, we'll sing. Um, so that's what they did. We, we went over to the tent. Hundreds of guys gathered in, asked questions, and talked about the things of the Lord. And these guys love the Lord. And then they said, okay. The pastor got up and he said, well, Ken, Ken's with us here from uh, the Detroit area. And he's our preacher for tonight. And that was it. And I, I was preaching. Like, and that was the whole thing. It was, there, was no, there were no preliminaries. It was just like preaching. Preach for an hour. And, and the guys were leaning forward in their seats. Part of that was because the seats were very uncomfortable. But 
they were leaning forward in their seats, I noticed, and they were listening, and they were hungry, and I thought, wow, what a, what a neat group. Now, they, they didn't, the pastor even mentioned this, they didn't really sing that well, but they sang with enthusiasm. After the preaching was over, they passed out hymn books, and they just said, all right, holler a number, and then we'll sing, and somebody would holler a number, and then they would sing, and not, not as well as you sang today, but they were, they had a good spirit. Thinking about them today, I was thinking about their hunger for the, for the preaching. There is this preaching that we do in the pulpit. It's kind of important. We wouldn't miss it. Um, but then there is public preaching. In the Bible, there's public preaching. Actually, in the Bible, in a number of places, you know, Peter did this, Jesus did this, Paul did this. They would go to a public place. And that'd be different, wouldn't it? Everybody's not sitting there with their Bible open, agreeing with you. They were, can you imagine preaching the gospel today? in a public place, in the public square, in the agora, in the acropolis, in the marketplace. That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? People could talk back to you and would. And in the Bible, when it talks about preaching, a lot of times it's talking about preaching in, a, in an assembly, large or small. But very often it's talking about public preaching. So you have what I call pulpit preaching, and then you have public preaching. And uh, I suppose that's for people that are especially gifted at that. Anybody want to do that? Raise your hand if you're ready to go on that. It's a little, you know, it's a little tricky. A little Honestly, I've done a lot of preaching and it'd be a little intimidating to just go out in public. It'd be a different thing. I mean, even when I preached from the roof, it was a, a pretty friendly audience. You know, there was the beeping of the horns and whatnot. And, but there's another kind of preaching the Bible talks about, it's included in the preaching words. You have the, the heralding, you have the teaching of the people in the church, the pulpit preaching. You have the public preaching proclamation in the marketplace where you're giving and taking and listening to arguments and that. But then you have personal preaching. And men and women in the Bible did personal, the words for preaching are used for men and women in the Bible who had personal conversations with people where they told them the truth. And that's for everybody. That personal, that we kind of call it gospel conversation and years ago, they called it personal work. That's why I'm talking to you today about this, because every Christian should be prepared by their Christian leaders for personal work. You should be ready to speak the truth to the people that you love. You should have something true ready for people when they're discouraged and, or when they're depressed or when they're confused or, or when they're kind of up a creek of error. Every Christian should be ready for that kind of personal personal work. And one of the things that it's my goal and desire and dream is that the people that I get to preach through from the pulpit are able to walk in the Spirit and teach other people how to walk in the Spirit. And we talk about that a lot, and it's just a beautiful phrase in the Bible, walk in the Spirit. But we don't often clearly define it and give it specific steps. And I, I want to fix that today. It's my goal that you would have the experience of walking in the Spirit, which I'm sure many of you have, but be able to teach others how to walk in the Spirit. And to that end, I created this little paper, which for what it's worth, has a little diagram on it. You probably have that today. And, and we're going to review. Let me review. But before I do, let me give you just a little story, a little picture of what it would look like 
It's one example. What would it look like to walk in the Spirit? So what does it look like? Let's, uh, let's imagine a man is on his way home from work. It's been a long, hard day, and he thinks, I can't wait to get home tonight, just get my feet up and kind of relax a little bit. I've worked so hard. And so he's driving along, and then he has this thought that comes into his mind. Maybe I should go by the meat market and pick up some of those shepherd's pies. So he stops by the meat market, and he goes back, and he says, you have any of those shepherd's pies? And they say, yeah, yeah, we got a couple. Oh, good, he says. And he buys the shepherd's pies, and on the way out, he also happens to notice there are some of those fruit pies from the Grand Traverse Pie Company. He thinks, that will be good. So he picks up a couple of fruit pies to go with his shepherd's pies, and then he grabs one of those bags of salad and checks out. He smiles as he thinks about it. He drives home, and his wife is working, and she's going to be home, and he turns on the oven. He has to read the back of the shepherd's pie to get the details. But he's able to do this. He gets the shepherd's pies ready. He gets the fruit pies ready. He makes the salad. When his wife walks in, she's a little surprised. He says, honey, sit down, take a load off your feet. I'm taking care of supper tonight. She was kind of quiet. And she just sat down. And she didn't say much. She didn't act very excited. She didn't act disappointed. She just was quiet. And he served her. He said, you just sit down. I'll take care of things tonight. And he brought her her shepherd's pie and her salad. She ate it. And then she says, why don't you go in and watch the news? I'll bring you a piece of pie. And I'll take care of the dishes tonight. She says, all right. I'm not going to argue with you about that. And she goes in, sits down to watch the news like she likes to do. And after a while, he brings her a piece of pie. And she doesn't really say much about it. He's a little disappointed, actually. They went up to bed that night after they watched a favorite television program. And they're laying in bed, and he says to her, why don't we just pray? And they prayed for the kids and, and the grandkids a little bit. And when it was her turn to pray, she was quiet. And then he noticed that she was crying. And he said, what's wrong? And she said, nothing. You know like girls do. <laughs> nothing. And he said, well, then if nothing's wrong, why are you crying? And she says, well, I don't know. I was just thinking, what made you make me dinner tonight? She says, I, I was thinking about that all day. I feel like I got to work and you work, and then I have to do everything when we get home. And I thought about that all day. It just kind of was, it kind of bothered me. I wasn't going to say anything about it, but it kind of bothered me. And then when I got home, you make dinner. Why did you do that? And he's laid there in the quiet, and he didn't know for sure. He just said, I'm not sure. But there was just this little voice. They said, why don't you take care of dinner tonight? And there was love in the house because he was walking in the Spirit. And that's what it might look like. Walking in the Spirit is continually obeying the impulses of the Spirit in the power of the Spirit, using the, fruits of the gifts of the Spirit, to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is continually obeying the impulses of the Spirit, or you could say the commands of the Bible, in the power of the Spirit, using the gifts of the Spirit, which produces the fruit of the Spirit. Does that sound good to you? That sounds like Grand Traverse Pie Company good to me. It's good. How would you like to live a life where you like, you know what I do? I just listen to what God tells me to do, and then I take my spiritual gift and the power that he gives to me, and then I obey him. I do that over and over again. And then in my life, I have love, and I have joy, and I have peace, and I have goodness, and I have patience, and I have kindness, and I have meekness, I have self-control. It's just like I live in a flower garden of virtues because of this. 
This series until Palm Sunday is following Jesus, helping others follow Jesus. It's about living a life of obedience because that came out of the Great Commission where Jesus said to do that. That's what we're talking about. Jesus says, go into all the world, preach the gospel. You know this. Go to all the nations, preach the gospel, make disciples, baptize them, teach them to observe or obey my commands. Disciples are people who in the power of the Holy Spirit just ask God every day what you want me to do and they go do it. And he is not going to misdirect us. He's going to give us things to do. He's at work in the world doing beautiful things and he's willing to use us as instruments in that work. I haven't always been a Willie Nelson fan. There are probably things about his life that aren't particularly virtuous, but my goodness, he is a gifted musician. But have you ever seen his guitar? He has a name for it. It's called Trigger. <laughs> you guys are just looking at me like nobody. Lois, it's just you and me here today. Uh, <laughs> Willie Nelson fans. If you pay attention, they got, yeah, he, yeah, that's bird. He has a gift, but his guitar is amazing. It's, he got it years and years ago, and it literally has holes worn in it. Look it up, Trigger. Willie Nelson's guitar, Trigger. Here's this master musician that has made a very good living for a lot of years, writing songs and singing them. And he has this instrument that's just very unique. What I'm talking about really today is like, God is the musician. I know this is a stretch, Willie Nelson and all that. But God is the master musician. And he says, I want to make you my choice instrument. I want to make the beautiful music I make in the world, and I want to use you. Now that's exciting. How does that work? You have to walk in obedience to him. You have to be a willing instrument. You have to be, God, you tell me what to do, and I'll do it if you'll, oh, you're going to have to give me the gifts. Okay. He says, I will. And you're going to have to give me the power. He says, okay, I will. You're going to have to remind me every once in a while. He says, I'll take care of that. But I, I'm going to have to, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do this on my own. You don't have to do it on your own. This is the, this is what he says. Instead of review, how would you walk in the Spirit? Well, these are the dynamics of walking in the Spirit. Seven dynamics, if you will, of walking in the Spirit. The things, the, the moving parts of walking in the Spirit. Well, well, first, the first of the dynamics is you have a prompting from the Spirit or you have a command from the Bible. You have instructions from the Lord or you have a reminder of, and you, you kind of, I don't really need to describe that to you if you're a mature Christian, you probably know when you ought to do what you ought to do, and it, it's consistent with the Scripture, it's consistent with the Spirit of Christ. Solid, mature Christians would agree, yes, that, that whole pie thing for your wife, that's probably okay. It's probably okay. That's, that sounds like a consistent thing. You're not probably going to get hurt doing that. That's probably a, great, probably a great idea. Lois is going to have high expectations this week after that. I'll tell you that. But, but, but that's the first thing. The first dynamic would be you get a command. And we talked about that last week. Now, the second dynamic would be you test that inclination. I've seen the word. You're, you're testing the timing of the obedience and, and the specific application of the obedience. Should I give that guy money that's asking for money? Well, test that with the word. And the scriptures talk about that. So the first dynamic of walking in the Spirit is you get an impulse from the Holy Spirit or you, get, you read a truth in the, in the Bible. And then the second dynamic is you test it with the Word and with wisdom. You test it with the Spirit of Christ and perhaps even the leaders of the church yesterday morning. 
the elders assembled and we just talked about, it was kind of fun. We, we just kind of talked about what should we do and should we do that? Maybe not. Maybe we should. And this, yeah, we definitely will do that. That's what we should do. Absolutely. We felt not sure about that. Sure about that. That's kind of how we were. That's the church leadership. That's a good thing. You, you should include something like that when you make decisions. It's about your obedience to the word how does my wife feel about that? How does my husband think about that? What would leaders think of this? What does the word say about this? Would this be wise? That's the filter. It should pass through. And, and again, that's what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Don't quench the spirit or despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. And the third thing would be that you want to cultivate an eagerness to obey. What are the dynamics of walking in the spirit? You get a command, you test the command, but you have a heart that's real eager. I get this from throughout the scripture, but in specific, I'm thinking about Romans chapter 6 and verse 19, where it says, we obeyed from the, it's 17, we obeyed, verse 17, 6, 17, we obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to us. I have a heart of eager obedience to God. God, I just want you to tell me what to do, because if I know you told me, but I'm on, firm, I'm on a firm foundation, I just want to obey you. I just want to go where you want me to go do what you want me to do, say what you want me to say. That's the spirit that, it, that makes you a beautiful instrument in the hands of a master musician. Yes, what an eagerness to obey. Now that was all review. And here's the fourth thing then. The first thing was you got the command or the impulse. The second thing was you tested it. The third thing was you engage your heart. These are little building blocks on the stepping bridge in your diagram in your little thing and the blocks of the diagram go in the blanks on the next page in case you wonder about that. The fourth thing then is that is this. You're encouraged because you know that when you obey God, he empowers your obedience. It's important because a lot of times we, we look at what we want to do, even like inviting somebody for Easter just seems a little daunting. If you think about what well, they wanted to come to church, they would come. They know where we are, you know. Well, they're going to they're going to make fun of me or they're going to say no. But wait, if the Lord is prompting you to invite them, then his power is what will he, will, he will work in his power to bring them if they're ready. Uh, I just looked out and saw a couple. And uh, Matthew, you were nodding when I was preaching, and you're nodding. And I was thinking about you guys. And there was a time a few years ago you were looking for a church, you were waiting for an invitation. And here you are, week after week, with your whole family. What a, what a beautiful story that is. I, I'll never get over that. That's fun to, every once in a while, Nikki drives by my house when I'm out in the yard and her white van beeps the horn and I always feel a happiness comes over me about that family that the Lord sent our way. Because, you know, somebody, uh, actually, I think it was Abby brought the Bethel cornhole to school. So that's how God works. He's just powerful enough to use <laughs> stray cornhole games I'm talking about the power of God. When God wants to do something, he can empower. You just want, you just obey. You just do what he said. He'll, he'll empower it. And things will happen. It's pretty exciting. He just wants you to obey him. And this is what the scriptures say. Listen, for instance, in this beautiful passage in Romans 8, 13, and 14. If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. All who are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. You know, Romans 8 talks about the power of God. Uh, I'm sorry, this is in the passage in Ephesians 2 where Paul is praying for the people. According, this is Ephesians 2, I'm sorry, verse, chapter 3, verses 16 through 20. Ephesians 
3, 16 through 20 says, according to the riches and glory he may, he's praying, he may grant you be strengthened with power in the inner man. Whatever ability that you need comes from the Holy Spirit when you obey. God's in it, he's empowering it. And then later, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God and, and to him, this is in Ephesians 3.21 in this great, beautiful kind of benediction that says, now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. You have grandkids you want to influence. Can I suggest you don't badger them, manipulate them, yell at them, discourage them, but that you just obey in love and ask God to influence them by his power that works in you. And you keep trusting God for that, this power that can work in their life even after you're with the Lord, but you never stop praying. That's why Paul wrote in Philippians, I love this, it's God working in you, giving you the, in the, the New Living uh, says it this way, God's working in you, giving you the desire and power to do what pleases him. That's pretty good, wasn't it? God's working in you, giving you the desire and power to do what pleases him. That's a, that's a neat Bible promise. Say, really, God? Like here, you're up praying and say, God, sometimes I don't want to do what's right. Can you to give you desire? But, but I don't know if, if I have the ability to do that. That's okay. I'll give you the desire and power. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit, is to find a command that the Spirit wants you to obey, test it, make sure, you have a willing heart, and then expect the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like I plow snow. I'm not going to do that anymore this year. But like, I curse myself, but when I plow snow, if I say to my wife, I'm going out to plow. My tractor could be talking to me going, you know what, you talk about plowing a lot, but I do all the work here. <laughs> like I just, don't tell Lois, but it's actually like a little, it's like playing on a little Tonka truck for me. I bundle up and I go out and start it up and I have you know, hydraulics and I drive, or it's four wheel drive. I drive around, I plow, plow my neighbor, plow my other neighbor, you know, because I'm a great guy. No, because I'm playing. That's what's going on. I'm, I'm on my little toy there and I'm plowing, but I'm not plowing. The plow is plowing. It's no more you that's, that's the power in obeying God than it is me plowing. You just say, yes, sir, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll do what you tell me to do. You're going to have to get the power. All the miracle stuff, that's on him. I say with great respect. And so how, how beautiful is that? Heard from a guy. He was addicted to nicotine. We all have our stuff, don't we? His was nicotine. He was addicted. To, he told me this story. He said, because he's talking about walking in the spirit. I said, what's it like to walk in the spirit? He goes, I was addicted to nicotine so bad that I couldn't get free of it. And it made me so depressed that I was suicidal. He said, I just would go out and mow my lawn over and over again because it was just something I could do. I would say to myself, somebody needs to mow the lawn. The kids need somebody to be here when they get married. The, the kids need somebody to be here to mow the lawn. He, he, was, he said he was suicidal. He was so messed up with this nicotine. He said he was suicidal. And he, he said many times he thought, I didn't know if it would be better for me to live or die, but I would go out and I would mow and I started to pray that God would fill me with his Holy Spirit. 
and God delivered him from the nicotine and from the depression and from the suicidal thoughts. And he said, you can tell the people that's what it's like for me to walk in the Spirit. I'm like, wow. That gave me hope for some of the things I wrestle with. So your obedience will be empowered by God. The fifth thing then is you can expect sweet, beautiful results in your life, which are called fruit. Isn't that lovely? Fruit of the Spirit. Walk through Meyer any day of the year and look in the produce department. It's kind of amazing when you think about every variety of apples and fruit. They're beautiful colors and they're sweet and they're good for you. This is the picture God uses. When a person finds a command, tests it, eagerly obeys it, God empowers that person and produces fruit from the Holy Spirit. I'm not making this up. This is what the Bible this is taking the teaching of the Holy Spirit and bringing it all together into the dynamic. These are the dynamics of walking in the Spirit. I can expect that there will be fruit in my life. This is the fruit that's listed where you have the contrast in Galatians in chapter 5 between the works of the flesh, which nobody really kind of wants, and the fruit of the Spirit, which everybody wants. According to the power working in us, we can have, according to the Bible, this is in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, we can have lives filled with love. That alone is what the world is looking for. And joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and even self-control. I'm like, bring it on, Lord. That's what I want in my life. You ever go by an orchard and, the, and it's in the fall of the year and the, and the, thing, and the trees are bending over with, with fruit? God, let me bear fruit. How does that happen? I listen to a command. I test it. I eagerly obey it. He empowers me. And then the fruit of the Holy Spirit. A mom. She obeys an inner voice to talk with a gentle voice all day. And the fruit in that house that night is joy and peace and kindness. A Christian teacher obeys an inner voice to listen deeply to a student. A young man obeys an impulse to help an elderly lady in the church. A dad responds in obedience to a prompting to take his teenage daughter to breakfast and listen deeply to her. Another dad yields to a prompting to stand out under a shade tree for an hour and show his little son how to throw, how to use his ball glove. A woman yields her heart to forgive a hurt from another lady at church. And the fruit of all that is sweet. A couple writes a check and sends some kids to camp. Their hearts just tugging them to do it. And the fruit was good and sweet and there was love and there was joy and there was peace. A churchwoman took it upon herself to break an uneasy silence and forgive an old hurt. And then instead of bitterness, she was characterized by sweetness. And later that night, there were tears of joy and peace and reconciliation. And the Lord led them into all these beautiful things. It's the fruit of the Spirit. A young man Stop in a locker room. Put his hand on the shoulder of another young man who was sitting with his head in his hands. 
He felt an inner urge to say, hey, why don't you come over this week and we can swim in our pool and maybe we can talk mom into taking us to the batting cages. And the boy looks up and smiles. He says, oh, I like that. Even a young man can hear from God, can walk in the spirit, can enjoy the fruit in his life. Two more, number six, obedience leads to more obedience. These are the dynamics of walking in the spirit. We get a command from God, we test it, we have a heart eager to obey, the, the Lord empowers it, he gives us fruit, and then we do it again. We do it, we repeat it, because that's the way it works. Take your Bibles now, and please open them to Romans and chapter six. I want you to lay eyes on this. Romans, scroll to Romans six, or flip to Romans six, or turn to Romans six, and, and look at this. This is um, Romans in chapter six, in verse uh, 19, it says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. This is a truth I love to teach, and I want to teach other people to teach other people. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Let me get, let me, he's going to say, I'm going to make this so clear. Even you will understand. <laughs> um, as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness... So now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free regarding righteousness. But, when, but what fruit did you get from the things of which you're now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now you've been set free from sin. You become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification. And the end of that is eternal life. There's a wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Now, track with this. So Paul's saying four things. He's saying, you have experience with sin. It leads to more sin and worse sin. Am I right? Can I hear it from the people? That, I am right. Yes. You're right, Ken. Yes. That's right. Paul's right. God is right. The Bible's right. They always are. When you sin, it leads to more sin and worse sin, habitual sin, and what else? Death. I'm kind of serious. He says, that's, I just give you that for an illustration because y'all can relate to it, is what he's saying. But when you obey, this is what we're talking about here. Spirit-empowered obedience. Spirit-initiated, spirit-empowered obedience. When the Lord nudges you to obey, you do it. He empowers it. And the fruit of that is the eternal life. But remember what we said about sin? Sin leads to more sin, leads to worse sin. He's saying obedience leads to more obedience, leads to better obedience. Sin becomes habitual. He's saying holiness becomes habitual. But in a greater way, because over here in the sin column, it's our flesh dragging us down. But in the holiness column, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Holy... Just think about that for a minute. It's staggering and hard to believe. Just little old you, I know you're little old you, and I know you know you, and you know the sins, and you know your family problems, and you, and you know how often you fumble, stumble, and how often you fall, but if the Bible's true, and you trust in God, you actually have the Holy Spirit living in you, he's going to be whispering to you, get the pie tonight, or something. His favorite dinner is lasagna, you know, something like that. And then you're going to obey it, test it, obey it. He's going to empower it and bring fruits. And then it's going to be easier to do it the next time. You're possessed by the Holy Spirit, and your 
continual obedience is what that's the walking part you do it over and over again that's why it says walk in the spirit and keep obeying and obeying until it's habitual until you're characterized by this this is so hopeful believer be encouraged you can walk in the spirit you can be habitually characterized by holiness and that leads to life to and it doesn't matter if you're young or old male or female experienced or inexperienced it's for everybody who will yield in obedience to God, who has the Holy Spirit living in them. That's pretty exciting. And then what? The seventh dynamic is you enjoy greater intimacy with God. It doesn't mean that he loves you more, but you experience his love in a greater way when you obey. You show love to him by obeying him, and he trusts you more and more with more commands, involves you more and more in his work. The scriptures are very consistent in teaching this. There is a greater intimacy it's like my, I, I love to go work with my grandfather for a week or two at a time. And he would, he would have these routines that he did. He would go set the lines at the pond. And then he would he'd have those set with cane poles down at the pond. And then we'd, we'd run the lines in the morning before breakfast to see if any, that we caught any fish that night. Fish if we caught them and bring them back up to the house. And he might stop by the garden and get some things in the garden. And then he would make breakfast and we would sit and eat a hearty breakfast because, you know, we were going to work really hard on the farm. And he would just talk and he would say what he was going to do that day. And I was a hyperactive kid and I had trouble remembering <laughs> those things. Like, you know, and he would be like, didn't I already tell you that, son? And I'd be like, yeah, no, but I was eating and I don't think very good when I'm doing other things. And, and one time I remember we went in for lunch and we had, it was in midsummer, and we had corn from the garden, tomatoes from the garden, puffballs from the west pasture. You fried them up in flour and batter, mushrooms and puffballs, corn. We ate a stack. My grandpa and I sat there and ate a whole platter of roasting ears. Or if you're from Kentucky, roasting ears. And uh, buttered them all up, ate them, and then we went out. And the tractor and the trailer, were at, the wagon were out there, and we were going up to the west pasture, and I ran out and got on the trailer, and he got in the tractor, and he started the tractor up and drove away, and the tongue of the trailer just fell on the ground, and he drove away without me. Because he had told me we were going to use it to go up and get the baler, so he knew I would know that we're going to have to unhook the wagon and not take the wagon with us, but I was just kind of confused, so I don't know what was going on. So my grandpa, he's kind of like that. He's chuckling while I'm running up the hill trying to catch up with him. And then he, I get on the back of the tractor. He goes, you need to listen more carefully next time. <laughs> there are people who are instrument in the master's hands and they listen to everything he says. They know his heart. They know what he's doing, where he's going. And they're choice instruments for him because he knows they'll obey him. He knows he, they know what he's doing. They're re reading his mail. They're reading his word. Their heart is his heart. That's the guy I want to be. I want to be that guy. This is, what, this is the way Abraham was. God says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? In Genesis 18 and verse 17, God says, Moses says, I want to be close to you. Show me your glory. God says, all right. Remember that? When John 10, 14, when he was, when he has brought out all his own. He goes before them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. 
A stranger they will not follow. They flee from him because they don't know the voice of a stranger. Lord, I, I want to be the, the man who listens that I can tell when you're talking. You tell me to do it, I go do it. That's what I do. Because I know that you'll empower me. There will be fruit. It will be habitual. And it will lead to more, good, more and more good things. This is the dynamic of walking in the Spirit. This is what the Scriptures say in, in John 10. Uh, John 10, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Listen to John 14 and verse 21. Whoever has my commandments keeps them. And he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father or enjoy special intimacy with the Father. And I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. Take that one home with you. Want to hear it again? John 14, 21. What a promise. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them lives a life of obedience, right? He it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. You want to have intimacy with God? Do what he says. Live a life of obedience to God. John 14, 23 and 24. Jesus says, anyone who loves me, they'll keep my word. And my Father will love him. And he'll come to him, make his home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but it's the Father's who sent me. And that's why you have contrast in Galatians in chapter 5 between the works of the flesh, which are ugliness, and the fruit of the Spirit, which is beautiful. Hey, I'm about done, but you know... There's the passage in Matthew. I love it. I love, I love to speak to kids about this, and I love to tell you about it, too. I love to think about it. The passage in Matthew 7 where God compares himself with a good father that gives good things to his children. Don't you love that? I love that. I never get tired of talking about that. I love that passage. It's just Matthew 7, 7 through 11. I always tell kids, 7, 11, think Slurpee. 7-Eleven. He's a good father. He gives good things to his children. Remember that passage? If he asks for an egg, he's not going to give him a scorpion, a snake. If he asks for bread, he's not going to give him a stone because he's a good father. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your fathers and have good gift, good, 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 I always mess that up. Give good things to those who ask him. You like that passage? Are you with me? Me too. But there's a passage parallel to it in Luke, and it says something a little more. It gives an example of when God talks about it. I might say, hey, God, can I have a model car? He's like, oh, that's not a good gift. That's a depreciating item. That's not a big deal. Can I have another Bible? Can you don't do the Bibles that you have. <laughs> you don't need another Bible. Can I get a fountain pen? You have a hundred fountain pens. Like, you don't need another one. What would God say? If I said, okay, God, I'm going to leave it up to you. You give me what I ought to have. It's what he said. I set that up for about a half an hour, didn't I? Here's what it says, though, in Luke and chapter 11 and verse 13. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give? Luke eleven thirteen. The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. When the revival, when the awakening came to Asbury and other places, 
I heard people saying, one of the prayers that was going around was three-word prayer. You know what the prayer was? Come, Holy Spirit. Now, if you got a problem with that prayer, I got a problem with you. Come, Holy Spirit. Whatever people disagree about how the Spirit works doesn't matter. God knows. Ask for Him. It, he says, God promised, I love you. I'm a good father. If you ask for good things, I'll give them to you. Like, ask me for the Holy Spirit. Now, we know that we're possessed by the Holy Spirit. We're baptized by the Holy Spirit at salvation, and we're filled repeatedly with the Holy Spirit. We, we know our theology about that, but but God isn't examining our theology. God's examining our heart and our hunger and our desire. Do you want to follow him? Do you, are you hungry for God? Would you say, I want your Holy Spirit to do whatever it is your Holy Spirit wants to do in me? And he says, I will give you what you ask for if you ask for that. I want to be that guy that walks in the Spirit, that lives a life of obedience to God. My son Daniel was very, very discouraged. He was, he was single at the time. He was down in New Mexico, he was very discouraged. I didn't know this. It was a Sunday. He told me about it later on. He said he uh, missed his mom, missed his family, missed his church. So he goes to a church where nobody knows him that day. And he just felt like nobody really talked to him. And he still felt lonely. He wasn't familiar with these people and they didn't know him. And so he listened, he sang and he listened to the preaching and he said, uh, he was about to leave the church unblessed, he said. <laughs> and he said that, but the very last thing that happened was the pastor prayed. And he prayed his prayer and he brought it to a conclusion. And then right at the end of his prayer, it's almost like he tacked a phrase on. He said something like this, and if anybody here today is lonely, if anybody's lonely today, may God comfort you today. And Dan said, what made him say that? He walked out, he shook the pastor's hand, he says, why did you say that? At the end, he goes, that's the funniest thing you should mention that. Because I was all done with my prayer. I just felt an urge to say that. Now that pastor was walking in the spirit. Later on, Dan went shopping and he had to buy a fireproof shirt for his work. It's kind of expensive. Dan's pretty tight with his money. So he was feeling the pain of buying a fireproof shirt that day at this place. And he said, there's a lady in line behind him about his mother's age. And the lady says to him, would you please let me pay for your stuff today? And he said, why would you do something like that? She said, well, if my son was out, I'd want somebody to do that for him. Please let me pay for your stuff. And she did. I'm not a detective or anything, but I bet she was walking in his spirit. When I hear stories about people who are tender-hearted and listening to the Lord and doing what he says. I always think, I just want to be that guy. I want to be that guy. I know you agree with me, don't you? 